Well, last week in uh, in our continuing study on the life of Joseph, we read about Joseph being reunited uh, with his father Jacob. First, we had read about Joseph being reconciled with his brothers the week before. And uh, in an incredible act of grace and mercy, Joseph forgives them, they're reconciled, and then he sends them back to Canaan, loaded up with, with gifts and food and donkeys and wagons. I mean, it's just an extravagant gift from Joseph to his brothers. And he sends them back. He says, listen, you have got to go back to Canaan. You've got to go back and you need to tell dad that I'm alive. Now, they weren't too excited about that part of it because they were the reason why dad thought Joseph was dead. But this was good news. And, and he said, you've got to go tell dad that I'm alive. And you need to tell dad all the blessings that have happened for me here in Egypt. And, and those blessings aren't just for me. He said, I, I believe that God has placed me here so that I can provide for you. So go, get dad, gather up the entire family, and come down here to Egypt where I can provide for you. And that's exactly what they did. They went back, they told their father that Joseph is alive and that he wants to take care of us and he wants us to pack up all of our stuff and come down to Egypt. He, he told us that, that this famine that we've been in for two years, a, a terrible, terrible famine, it's, 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 it's devastating to families. They said, it's gonna, Joseph said it's gonna last for another five years. Dad, we gotta go down to Egypt to be with Joseph. And so jo, uh, Jacob said, I'm in. I mean, my boy is alive. That's all that matters. I don't care about grain. I don't care about anything. My son is alive. I'm going down to see him. And so he packed up the entire family and they made their way down to Egypt. And after 22 years, 22 years of, of grieving over the death of his son, believing that Joseph was gone forever, Jacob was finally reunited with his son. It was a, an amazing not a lot of verses describing that encounter, but you can imagine how emotional it must have been as Jacob and Joseph saw each other for the first time. The text says that, that Joseph actually goes over to his father, presents himself, and he begins weeping on his father's neck, just crying and crying. It says for a good while, just crying and crying and crying on dad's neck. And then Joseph looks at him and says, I can die now. I can die in peace because Joseph is alive. Well, after they finished drying their tears, Joseph pulled his family together. And as we closed out last week, Joseph was giving his brothers some instructions on what they were to say when they go before Pharaoh. They're, they're going to have a meeting with Pharaoh now that they've arrived in Egypt, and Joseph wants them to be ready for that. Now, Presumably, Joseph has already made some arrangements with Pharaoh. They've already talked about it. Pharaoh said, go get your family, bring them down. And Joseph and Pharaoh had told him, look, when they get here, they can dwell in the best of the land. Your, your family, Joseph, you're, you're my guy. And anything for you, your family can have the best of the land. But in order to make it official, they still need to go before Pharaoh. So Pharaoh can say, here's your, here's your land. So Joseph is giving them some instructions as we left off last week. Now, the spot that Joseph has picked for his family is the land of Goshen. 
And as we talked about last week, Goshen was a, a lush and, and a fertile land located in the, the Nile Delta in the upper eastern, northeastern part of Egypt. It was a great place for, for his family to grow crops and to be able to sustain their herds and their flocks. Well, at least it would be under normal circumstances. When it's not a famine, this is going to be a great place for them to live. And so Joseph says to his brothers, he says, when you go before Pharaoh, I want you to make sure that you tell him that you are shepherds because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. And last week we laughed about that because it doesn't sound like a great plan, Joseph. You want me to tell him I'm a shepherd because he hates shepherds? Yes, that's exactly right. Because... Joseph is trying to ensure, he's trying to ensure that Pharaoh will place his family exactly here in, in Goshen. And last week, we talked about the fact that while it's, you know, Joseph has got this plan to land his family in Goshen, we talked about the fact that, that Pharaoh is going to give this land to them in Goshen, that ultimately what we see is the sovereign hand of God orchestrating the events so that he can place his people, this family of Jacob, in the perfect environment where they can grow and become a nation, right? Because God promised he was going to build this family into a nation. And the problem was that while they were in Canaan, we already read about it, Genesis chapter 38. Remember what happened with, with his older brother, Judah? How he was marrying the foreign, uh, the for, uh, foreign women in Canaan? And, and the concern was if they continued to marry people with different beliefs, eventually they're just going to be totally uh, assimilated into the Canaanite culture. And so God said, no, I need to put them in a place where they can grow and become a nation. And what better place than a place where the Egyptians can't stand you? They don't want anything to do with you. They're not going to marry you. They're barely going to talk to you. Uh, so we're going to just set you up here in this little place called Goshen. So that's where we left off last week. This morning, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 47, if you have your Bibles. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to provide you with one. Just let us know. Let somebody here know that you need a Bible. We'll, we'll get you uh, hooked up with one of those. But Genesis chapter 47, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Genesis 47, 1 says, So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and their herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, by now in this series, we know, we know that Joseph is no dummy, right? We know that Joseph is an incredibly uh, wise man. He's an incredible manager of resources. He's an incredible uh, manager of, uh, of people. And nine years ago, Pharaoh had made him the second in command over all of Egypt, and, and Joseph had carefully managed all the resources of Egypt through, through both the seven years of plenty, you know, making sure they collected and, and stored it up in, in houses and in the cities, and now he's led them through the first two years of an extreme famine in the land. So Joseph, he's no dummy, right? Joseph is working a plan here as he's bringing his family before Pharaoh. He's already talked about moving them into the land, right? We talked about that. But now he comes into Pharaoh's presence and he says, so my family's arrived, they're here, with all their herds and all their sheep and their goats and their donkeys. And, 
They're already in Goshen, you know? They're over there residing in the land of Goshen. See, what he's doing is he's putting Pharaoh in this place where the most natural thing for Pharaoh to do is say, why don't they just stay there? I said they could have the best of the land, and Goshen's pretty good. And Joseph's thinking, good plan, right? That's a great idea, Pharaoh. And, uh, you know, he set this whole thing up. And so what Joseph does is he brings five of his brothers. He handpicks five. He's got 11 brothers. He handpicks five to go in and talk to Pharaoh. Another way to might maybe look at this is maybe he chose six not to go, you know, <laughs> like, you know, Reuben, Reuben's not going in before Pharaoh. Yeah. I feel bad. I, I was thinking about this week. I've really picked on Reuben really bad. I told my wife a, a couple weeks back, I said, I've picked on Reuben so bad. I feel like I'm going to owe the guy an apology one day when we meet. Like, <laughs> I am so sorry, Reuben, but you're just such an, you were an easy target. Um, you said some really dumb stuff. Um, so Joseph says, yeah, I don't think so. You, you stay back home with the sheep. And so he picks five, and the five of them go in, and, and they meet with Pharaoh. So verse three says, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. Um, because again, when we read these stories, we just, we, we, sometimes we forget like who we're dealing with and, and who they're standing before. And Joseph's brothers are, are, are being interviewed now by the king of Egypt. You know, we get so comfortable with the story that we forget that, like, they got called into the Oval Office, you know? This is a, this is a big deal. These are just ordinary shepherds from Canaan, and, and now they're standing in the presence of arguably one of the most powerful men in the entire world at that time. And so after Joseph preps them for this meeting, you, you can imagine, you can imagine their relief as they walk in, like, okay, What's he going to ask us? Joseph said that we're, we're shepherds. We're shepherds, we're shepherds, we're shepherds. Don't say anything stupid, right? So they go into Pharaoh's presence, and you can imagine their relief when the question that Pharaoh asks them is, what is your occupation? They're like, yes, we know the answer. We know the answer to this question. We are shepherds. We are shepherds. Joseph told us what to say. So they're ready for this. They said, we are shepherds and we have come to sojourn. We've come to sojourn, which means we have come to temporarily reside. That's what it means to sojourn. And we're going to talk more about that later as we go through the text. They say, we're just here to reside right now because the famine is so severe. It's so bad in Canaan. There's, there's nothing for our crops to eat. So we're coming down here in hopes to survive. And if it's okay with you, Pharaoh, sir, king, uh, we would love to live in the land of Goshen. Well done. They did it. They did exactly what Joseph told them to do. And uh, Joseph's five unnamed brothers uh, have accomplished their task. Verse five, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, he doesn't really say anything to them. He just turns to Joseph. 
He says, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Pharaoh listens to Joseph's brothers, and then he turns to Joseph and he says, no problem. No problem. Joseph, any friend of Joseph is a friend of mine. They can live anywhere they want. They want to live in Goshen? Go ahead. Stay in Goshen. He probably would have said, you want to live in the palace? You can have the... Uh, he probably wouldn't have done that, right? But he says they can stay in Goshen. And it, and it wasn't because... Do you think it was because they were so persuasive? They were such great orators. They stood before Pharaoh and they had this well-rehearsed speech. No, they were probably shaking in their boots, right? It had nothing to do really with them, did it? This had everything to do with Joseph, right? Joseph's brothers are being blessed. We talked about this last week. They're being blessed by the king simply because of the relationship that they have with Joseph. And in the same way, God the Father has blessed you and me, right? Is it because you're just such a great person? God looks down and is like, I, this person is so amazing that I, I just got you know, to roll out the red carpet, right? He's so, no, we're all like messed up, aren't we? Aren't we? <laughs> okay, I'm messed up, right? You guys have, you know, you get the royal red treatment because you're so good. No, look, we're all being blessed by God the Father, not because we're so great, but because Jesus is so great right? It's because of what Jesus died in our place. It's because of what Jesus did that we become benefactors of just incredible blessings. We talked about that last week. Read Ephesians 1 to just find out all that's yours because of Jesus. It's amazing. So Pharaoh says, absolutely, your family can dwell here in Goshen. But he doesn't stop there, right? He says, how would they like to also have a job? They're here, Apparently, your, your, your family, they're shepherds. Why don't you have them take care of my flocks and my livestock as well? They're just coming out. They would have been happy if Pharaoh said, sure, you can live in Goshen. They would have been content with that, don't you think? Yes, this is great. But Pharaoh says, I can do better than that. How about, how about I give you a job, give you some security? You guys can take care of my livestock as well. Verse 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So Joseph's brothers leave. They're gone out of the room, and now he brings in his dad. Now, this is pretty interesting what takes place here in verse 7, because this is not what Pharaoh would have expected. If anybody was going to be doing the blessing in this room, it would have been Pharaoh blessing Jacob. Because you see, in ancient cultures... Blessings were pronounced from those who were in positions of higher authority to people in positions of lower authority. That's why the writer of Hebrews, in um, when he's talking about Abraham and Melchizedek, in Hebrews chapter, boy, I, I'm not sure. What does it have, do I have it on the reference there? I think it's chapter 7. Hebrews 7, 7? Yeah, there it is. He, he says, it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. It's beyond dispute because the person with the position of higher authority blesses the person with lower 
authority. So the fact that Jacob, this 130-year-old shepherd, kind of comes in. I don't think he ran. He probably was done. His running years were over, right? But Jacob, 130 years old, comes in before Pharaoh, and he says, I bless you, Pharaoh. Wow, this is remarkable. And it's remarkable for a couple of reasons. It's remarkable, first of all, because Pharaoh allows it. Like, who do you think you are? Like, that's what he could have said, right? Pharaoh, most powerful man in the world, he could have said, what do you mean you're blessing me? I'm Pharaoh. What are you talking about, old man, right? But he respects Jacob. More importantly, I think he respects Joseph. This is Joseph's dad. And so he allows Jacob to bless him. The other thing that I love about this encounter that Jacob comes in and blesses Pharaoh is that we see Jacob finally, he's leaning in to his calling. He's leaning in because Jacob isn't just a shepherd, is he? He's not just a shepherd. Jacob is a patriarch of God's people, Israel, God's chosen people. He is the grandson of Abraham, the friend of God. And Jacob carries the blessing of the people of Israel with him. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will, listen, I want you to listen to this verse, okay? Because it matters. It matters how we relate to Israel. I want you to know that. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the, uh, of the earth will be blessed. It matters what's happening in Israel. Our relationship with Israel matters. From the very beginning, God's plan has been to bless all the families of the earth through his people. So Jacob is living up to his calling. He is carrying God's blessing with him as he comes into this land. You know, Jacob may not have the power and the riches that Pharaoh has, but in a very, very real way, Jacob carries a much, much higher authority with him than Pharaoh, doesn't he? Jacob is a worshiper and a representative of the true and living God. And so are you. Are you a worshiper of the true and living God? Are you his representative? It's what the Bible says. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that you are an ambassador of Christ. You represent Christ in this world. That means that you have the privilege and the responsibility to carry the blessing of God into your neighborhoods, into your jobs, into your communities, right? It's not just to bless the, the Christians that are around you. You carry the blessing, the favor of God everywhere you go. And you can be a blessing to the saved and those who are still unsaved. Be a blessing wherever you go. I've heard it said a few times, and it cracks me up every time, that there are some people who are a blessing wherever they go. Wherever they go, they're a blessing. And you know people like that, don't you? But then there are other people who are a blessing whenever they go, right? You're like, man, I am so glad that they're leaving, right? Woo, 
I didn't think they'd ever leave. Wow, what a blessing. They're gone. The question is, which am I? Which am I? When people see you coming, are you a blessing or are you a blessing when you leave? You know? Jacob, this elderly shepherd, he comes in, he blesses Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Verse 8, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? In other words, how old are you? You know, like this guy just walked into my presence and he's blessing me. Like, how old are you? Verse 9, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh again and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. There's three things that that Jacob says in his answer to Pharaoh that I really want to focus in on. First, he says that it really hasn't been a very long life. He says, few, right? Few have been the days of the years of my life. I've only lived 130 years, just 130, not nearly as long as my ancestors. Now, as we've been making our way through this series, we've seen that Jacob is a, he's a grieving man, right? I mean, his, his statement, I can die in peace now. Jacob has been wanting to die for quite some time, right? Uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, love, love him, uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, uh, pastor, he said this, he said that uh, Jacob, Jacob had one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. So I love that. That's a great, great picture. Jacob says, I've lived 130 hard, evil years. That's nothing compared to my father's. Jacob's dad, Isaac, he lived to be 180. Wow. His grandfather, Abraham, 175. His great-grandfather, Terah, 205. 205 Years. So comparatively, right? So comparatively, he says, I'm really not that old. I'm not that old, at least not as old as I look, right? He had lived some hard, hard years, 22 years of grief over the loss of his son. The second thing that Jacob says about his life is that his days have been evil, evil. There's been no shortage of sin and hardships in Jacob's life, agreed? Some of those sins and some of those hardships were actually brought on by himself, right? They're self-induced, such as the deceit and the trickery of his brother Esau. Remember when he did that? Yeah. And his brother wants to kill him, right? So what does he have to do? He has to flee away from his dad and his mom, and he has to go and live in Padan Aram, where he's lived a long time. And, and while he's there, what else happened? Oh, he got tricked and deceived by his, uh, his father-in-law, Right? Terrible things that happened to him. Or how about the, or how about the, um, the favoritism uh, that, that happened to, uh, uh, with Joseph, where he was favoring Rachel above all of his other wives? And how about, the, how about the way that he treated Joseph compared to his other sons? He brought this on himself, right? Some of the, some of the, the decisions he made led to suffering in his life. But what about what, about what happened with his daughter, Dinah? Evil, right? His daughter Dinah was raped near Shechem. 
And then his, two of his sons were so upset about what happened to their sister that they go on a mass murdering rampage through the land, uh, through the city of Shechem, right? Evil, horrible things that have happened in his life. And then, man, the love of his life, Rachel, she died. He lost her while she was giving birth to his 12th son, Benjamin. Painful, painful things that, that Jacob had to endure. And then his own sons tricked him by selling off his beloved son Joseph as a slave to Egypt and then led their father to believe that he had been killed by wild animals. Jacob has lived a hard, hard life. It hasn't been without blessings, right? Jacob's a blessed man, right? But it's been a hard life for Jacob. The third thing that Jacob says in this statement to Pharaoh, though, is that his life has been a 130-year sojourning. It's been a sojourning. Jacob says, my life has been a temporary stay. I'm just traveling through. I'm not just traveling now through Egypt. My life has been a sojourning. My life has been a traveling through. You see, Jacob understood something really important. It's something that every single one of us needs to grab a hold of. You got to get this. You got to know this. Your life here on earth is Drum roll, temporary. It's temporary. We are all just passing through. But sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we forget that. We become so attached to the things of the world. We become so attached to things that are here on earth that we forget that we are just passing through. We're sojourners. Several years ago, I saw an illustration uh, by uh, Francis Chan. And it's an illustration about how we, how we tend to live our lives sometimes. It's an illustration that has stuck with me through the years. And uh, if you've been attending Fayette Baptist Church for any length of time, you've seen either Pastor Russ share it, you've seen Pastor Glenn share it, you've seen me share it at youth groups or baccalaureate services. But just in case there's one person here who has not yet seen this illustration, uh, I'm going to play a video now of, of Francis Chan, uh, uh, an illustration called the rope illustration. So go ahead. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh, man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> and you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get to travel. Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? 
What about this? What about that? what about all this stuff? It's just it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now. Just enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying down here. It's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. Because I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining. Because I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out. And I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges. And he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me. Because I'm going to pass that line well. Yeah, right? It's so easy. It is so easy to forget that we are sojourners, that that red part is just us passing through, but we are eternal souls. You realize that? You're eternal souls. And everybody that you come in contact with, that person that you can't stand at your job, that person's an eternal soul too. They're just passing through. We are eternal beings. Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter, by the way, I hope you remember that rope. Uh, how, how many had never seen that before? Wow, a lot. So it was definitely worth showing. I hope that sticks with you. I hope you remember the rope as you consider your life and your existence and the decisions that you're making today and tomorrow. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, Moses wrote these words. He said, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, when we understand that we are sojourners and our time is limited, we begin to live with wisdom. We, get, we begin to think about making the most of the time that we're given, living our lives to be a blessing to the people around us. And so Jacob says, my life, it's a sojourning. It's just a temporary stay. And after blessing Pharaoh a second time, Jacob leaves his presence. 
Verse 11, then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his, fa uh, provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Joseph's family settled in the land of Egypt and Joseph was able to then take care of them. Now, just a quick note, verse 11 says that, um, that they settled in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses. Ramses. I thought, I thought you said that they settled in the land of Goshen, right? All along, they said, we want to li live in Goshen. You can live in Goshen. Now go settle in Ramses, right? It's a little confusing. Most commentators agree that the land of Goshen is the area of Ramses. It's the area that would later become known as the area of Ramses. Who's writing the book of Genesis? Who's writing Genesis? Moses. Moses isn't going to come around until the time of the Exodus, 400 years from now. You guys know that towns change names over a period of 400 years, right? We're not even 400 years old yet, right, as a country, right? So when this later generation shows up, Moses includes this little insert so that people will know where Goshen was. Oh, that's where Goshen is. Oh, the land of Ramses. He said you can settle in Goshen. Settle in Ramses. So just a cool little thing there. Now, as we're going to look at the next several verses, we're going to see that the provision, the provision that Joseph is going to provide for his family is actually an incredible, incredible blessing. Because as Joseph is taking care of his family there in Goshen, the rest of Egypt finds themselves desperate desperate just to survive. It's kind of crazy, right? The Egyptians are going to be starving and God's people are going to be taken care of in Egypt. Isn't that incredible? Verse 13, now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So during the seven years of plenty, you remember that Joseph, he made really careful preparations, right? In, in, in storing up food for the coming famine. He built storehouses for grain in all the cities. And, and, and when the famine hit, everybody started coming to Joseph to buy grain, Right? They show up. They said, we're out of grain. We're starving. We need to buy grain. He says, sure, what do you got? He takes their money and he gives them grain and they leave. But eventually, what happens? Their money runs out. This is a bad famine, much more severe than anyone expected. Verse 15, and when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. So their money got them through the first year, right? They got them through. They got enough grain to get by for the year. Then they run out of money and they come to Joseph again and they're saying like, hey, we, we've got no money, but we're still hungry and we're out of grain. 
And so Joseph says, well, you've got livestock, right? I'll buy your livestock and I'll give you grain. Sweet. So they said, okay, this is a good deal. We'll sell our livestock and we'll survive. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get some more grain. But it's going to run out again. Verse 18 says, and when, the year, when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we're not going to hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. He's like, yeah, I know. The herds of our livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. By the way, just keep in mind, this is not Joseph's family that's coming to him and doing this, right? Joseph's family is being provided for by Joseph. Isn't that incredible? The people come to Joseph and they say, listen, we have given you everything we have. We've given you our money. We've given you all of our livestock. All we have left is the land that we own and our bodies. This is all we have left. And, and the truth of the matter is, Joseph, if you don't provide us with grain, both of those things are going to die. Our bodies are going to die, and the land is going to be desolate. No one's going to be able there to take care of it, and the land is going to go bad too. Don't let that happen. How about this? We'll sell you our land. And notice whose idea this was, right? They said, Joseph, would you, would you buy our lands? Would you allow us to become servants of Pharaoh, and you'll provide grain for us, and then Pharaoh will own the land, and we'll work it. That's what we'll do. Verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them, and the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. And by the way, when it says he made servants of them, I don't want you to picture like, like slavery like we've come to know the word slavery, okay? That's not the picture you should be getting here. They're, they're like indentured servants. They're, they're taking care of the land for Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh's not out beating the, the, the local Egyptians to get them to work the land, okay? That's not the picture you should have here. There, that does exist in other places, right? But that's not what's happening here. Verse 22, only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowances that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. So just like that, Pharaoh now owns all, almost all the land of Egypt, not only that, he has now all the people in Egypt are now working for Pharaoh and they're taking care of his land. Now, I need to address something because some people read this and they're like, man, I think we're seeing a character flaw in Joseph. How many people are already thinking that? Anybody? You're looking at it like, that doesn't seem very nice, right? Boy, Joseph is awfully greedy here. Boy, Joseph is sure taking advantage of these people. Well, first of all, you need to know that Joseph is working on behalf of Pharaoh, right? It's not like Joseph now is the owner of all this land of Egypt. It's like, sweet, I got some more land. No. But beyond that, remember, whose idea was this anyway? See, the people didn't see this as a bad thing. In fact, you just have to read the next few verses, which we're going to in just a second, to realize that they're not upset with this deal. You're upset with it. You're upset with it. They looked at it and they said, wow, we've gone from starving to being provided for. 
Pharaoh's going to take care of us now. We're going to take care of his land, and he's going to provide us with food. They thought this was a good deal at the time. Verse 23 says, Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now, here is seed for you, and you will sow the land. And at the harvest, you will give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. Pretty good deal, right? He's saying Pharaoh now owns the land, but you live on it, we'll give you seed, you work the land, you can keep 80% of what it produces for you and your families. And you give 20% as a tax to Pharaoh. Make sense? You following what's going on here? Verse 25, and they said, listen to their response. You have saved our lives. Do they sound upset? Do they sound like they're being beaten with whips? No. They said, you saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day. To this day would be when Moses was writing, right? That Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. The people are not disgruntled. They're not upset with this arrangement. They've gone from starving to being able to survive. They're being taken care of. Not only that, going forward, again, they're gonna get 80% of the produce of this land and they're still gonna be provided with food for their families. Now, earlier, earlier I mentioned that, that, that um, God's promise is to bless those who bless Israel and to curse those who curse Israel. Who blessed Israel in this story? Who blessed the family of Jacob in this story? Pharaoh has blessed him, hasn't he? He said, come into my land. You can go and you can stay in the best of the land. And not only that, I'm going to give you land. I'm also going to allow Joseph to provide grain for you during a famine that is so bad that my own people are going to be starving. And to the point they're going to give up their money, they're going to give up their livestock, they're going to give up their lands, but not the people of Israel. Pharaoh blessed Israel. And I believe that God blessed this Pharaoh for what he did. Now, there is a later Pharaoh, right, coming. If you've read the rest of the story, if you haven't, jump on over to Exodus and you can read all about it, right? There's another Pharaoh that's coming 400 years later who is going to be very harsh on God's people, right? And he sure does invoke the wrath of God, doesn't he? You can read about that in Exodus. God blesses those who bless Israel and he curses those who curse Israel. Verse 27, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen and they gained possessions in it and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. Verses 27 and 28, the writer basically summarizes and says, this is how Israel began to grow and become a nation in the land of Egypt. While everybody else is struggling, God is blessing and multiplying his people there in the land of Goshen. When Jacob arrived in Egypt, he was 130 years old. The writer says he lived to be 147. He he said, I could die now. I'm good. Joseph's alive. I'm ready to die in peace. And God says, well, you got 17 years to go, buddy. 17 years. That means that Jacob was able to spend 17 years with Joseph and Joseph's sons, Manasseh, Ephraim. 
He gets to know his son again and spend time with his son again for 17 more years. Remember how old Joseph was when he went missing? 17 years. God, God blessed Jacob was 17 more years. 17 years when Joseph was young and now 17 years old, the final years of Jacob's life with his son in Egypt. But just in case it sounds like Jacob is dead, it kind of sounds like that, right, at the end of that verse. He lived 147 years. Goodbye, Jacob, right? He's not done. Uh, the, the, the text isn't done with Jacob yet. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna take a closer look at Jacob's final days and the things that are on his heart as he prepares to finish his sojourning in the land. As we close, though, let's not forget, let's not forget that we too are sojourners here on earth, right? We're just passing through. In 2009, country music singer Carrie Underwood wrote a song called Temporary Home. Anybody know it? All right. Those are your country music fans. <laughs> in the final verse in the chorus, there's a scene that's being described in that song of an older man who is nearing his death. And the lyrics go like this. Old man in a hospital, be- a hospital bed. The room is filled with people he loves. And he whispers, don't cry for me. I'll see you all someday. And he looks up and he says, I can see God's face. This is my temporary home. It's not where I belong. Windows and rooms that I'm passing through. This was just a stop on the way to where I'm going. I'm not afraid because I know that this was my temporary home. This is our temporary home. Brothers and sisters, none of us knows how much time we have, right? Every single moment of every single day is a gift from God that we get to use for his glory, right? Investing in his kingdom, building into things that aren't temporary. There's a couple things that, that we know from God's word that aren't temporary. God's word is eternal and souls are eternal. The relationship that you forge with God is eternal and the relationship of others that they form with God will be eternal as well. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, a little reflection time, right? Where's your heart? What is consuming your heart when you wake up every single day? Is your treasure, as you answer that question, is your treasure here or is your treasure in heaven, right? Let's make the most of the time we have. It's a gift. It's a gift. Today was a gift. And if you live to tomorrow, tomorrow will be a gift as well. Let's use our time, our talents, and our treasures investing in things that will last, investing in our relationship with God, and investing in relationships with others, souls, helping them to be reconciled to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so, so much. And we thank you 
we thank you for this reminder that we are just passing through. Today is a gift. It's a gift from you, and it's a gift for you. And God, we have an opportunity today to live in a way that we're making investments in our eternal home. That God, we can grow in our relationship with you. We can spend time with you in your word and in prayer and worship and study. And we get the opportunity to love our brothers and sisters. We get our, uh, an opportunity to love other people who don't yet know you. Because God, our heart's desire is that well, it's the same as your heart's desire, I hope, that all would come to repentance. That's what your word tells us. That's your heart's desire. And so, God, we pray that you would use us in the time we've been given to help others to know you so they can enter into an eternal relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.